it's really great to be with you this morning and share with you a little bit about uh, the work of Tier Australia and the motivation for why we've been doing what we've been doing in some of the most difficult parts of the world for over 40 years now. TIR is an aid and development organisation that works in 22 countries at the moment through local partner organisations and churches, trying to bring hope and life into some of uh, the darkest and most difficult parts um, of the world. And I know that you're not used to having screens this morning, but this morning we do have uh, a bit of a presentation. I hope you know what to do with it after all these... Uh, months of just having a beautiful booklet in front of you and if you can't quite see it there's a bit more room over here or I can move my should I move this at all no you're all good okay great so we're going to be dreaming a bit this morning uh, on the theme of for tomorrow in the bible we read a lot about the better tomorrow that God is going to bring in the world a tomorrow of justice hope and peace a tomorrow where everyone enjoys the fullness of life that Jesus came into the world to bring. And a tomorrow where every tear is wiped away and no one lives in darkness or suffering anymore. Yet, as Andrea mentioned at the beginning, all we need to do is turn to the news or um, hear stories from our community of just the struggles and um, just the awful situation that so many people around the world are living in. And last year was just full of bad news stories, hey, um, as we kind of think back to some of the things that took place. And those stories, even as Christians, make us wonder about the state of the world that we're living in and make us wonder about what it is that God is doing um, in, in amongst all of that and stories that make us cry out for the world to change. But today I don't want to dwell too much on those stories. I want you to come with me on a journey of imagining. Imagining what it takes for us to be people who can live for and imagine a new tomorrow for the world. Imagine the kind of world that we want our children and our grandchildren to grow up in. And imagining the world as God intended. So we're going to look today at a few Bible passages and some stories from Tears Overseas Partners on the courage required to imagine a new tomorrow for the world, a tomorrow of justice, hope and peace. But I want to start today by looking at the situation for women around the world because still today we know that women and girls bear the brunt of um, the burden of poverty and injustice. So I'll just give you a minute to read those statistics. I've seen these over and over and yet I still struggle so much to get my head around, to get my head around them because they're horrific and they're confronting. And yet, because we're surrounded by statistics like this all the time, we kind of lose the, um, the personal aspect. We lose the face behind the numbers and in that sense we feel okay to move on. But behind each of these statistics are real women. They're um, their sisters, their wives, um, their grandmothers, uh, their daughters. And they're all beautiful people with names. Today I want to share with you the story uh, of a woman named Smita, who I've had the privilege to meet several times. 
Smita is uh, from a Hindu background and she lives in a really small house uh, in, in a slum, a large slum on the outskirts of Mumbai. Smita is from a very conservative Hindu background where um, they actually believe that women shouldn't even leave their homes during the day and shouldn't participate in community life uh, and due to entrenched beliefs about the role of women in society. And so that was the context that Smita was coming from when she heard about a project that Tia's partner Sahasi were running in her slum. And Smita courageously challenged some of the things that she had been told about her worth and started, um, she joined a self-help group, which is a small group of women who gathered together to save some money, tiny amounts of money, probably like 10 cents a week for us, the equivalent, um, and then pull that money together with other women to try and bring, bring about um, positive changes for their family. So we're going to hear a bit about Smita's story today and we'll meet her now. Before I became involved with the Sahasi program, I was very lonely, unhappy, and not able to relate to other women in my neighborhood. When I found out about the Sahasi self-help groups, I knew it was something I needed to be part of. I decided to join up without telling my husband. I was very scared, but after joining my group, the fear began to go away and I felt courageous and strong. I first heard about Sahasi back in mid-2003. Some of their staff were in my neighbourhood visiting different homes. It was a very rainy day. I wondered why they would do this in such bad weather. So I invited them into my home to find out. What they told me changed my life forever. They told me about their work and how they can support me and other women to find our voice and seek equality for all in our neighbourhood. I was amazed and straight away felt hopeful. I knew that from then on my life was going to be more than just my home and family. Then now I could do something that would benefit my whole community. We'll hear a bit more of her story later. But I want you to think now about who comes to mind for you when you think about people in the Old Testament who had courage to imagine a new way forward. If we think back to the time of exile, well, we know that uh, God's people were in a place of great darkness at that time, that they'd been exiled from their own land for around 70 years. But if you've ever been down into a deep cave, you'd know that right down in places of deepest darkness, a tiny light can actually um, shine, bring forth the greatest illumination. And it was during this time of deep darkness, during the exile period, that uh, it gave birth to some of the most optimistic and inspired literature that we have in the Old Testament. It was a time of prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, I wonder if any of these came to mind for you, Ezekiel, Daniel, Haggai and Zechariah. And even though Israel was beaten, impoverished, and oppressed under foreign rule and really couldn't see what, how God was going to bring them out of that, the prophets were able to actually look forward and envisage a better tomorrow, a different way. And they had courage to imagine a day when God would bring about redemption and restoration for their people and their land again. 
And as we had read to us uh, this beautiful passage from Isaiah 65, and all through Isaiah there's beautiful imagery about this kingdom that God was going to bring about, uh, with the book ending with this vision of the new tomorrow, the new heavens and the new earth um, that God was going to bring about, with no more babies dying in the cradle or old people who don't enjoy a full lifetime. Love this translation from the message. 100th birthdays will be considered normal. Anything less will seem like a cheat. And we read that there'll be no more dispossession of land. Uh, Animals will live together in harmony. And it's just an amazing picture that contrasts quite dramatically with what we know of the world today, hey? And Isaiah prophesied that this amazing new kingdom would come about through a new type of leader, a servant leader who was going to lay down his life for his people. And so one story of this beautiful servant leader's priorities for tomorrow is the story that we had read to us from Mark chapter 5, where we read that Jesus is approached by a very important man of the time, Jairus, a synagogue leader, Uh, who appeals on behalf of his daughter, who we read is at the point of death. Jesus goes with Jairus and we fully expect that his mission will be completed there and then with a healing. Um, But actually what's opened up in this story is that Jesus has a much bigger vision of tomorrow than just a one-off healing. On his way home with Jairus, Jesus is hemmed in by the crowds and uh, we read that an unnamed woman touches him, seeking healing. The story zooms in upon a woman whose condition is described in great detail, that she's been bleeding for more than 12 years. She's spent all that she could uh, seeing doctors and trying to get better, but in fact she's only become worse. And what we know of the purity code of Leviticus at the time was that a woman... Uh, who was bleeding, was considered to be unclean and would need to stay at home because anyone who came in contact with her would have contracted her um, impurity. And in that context, would have been highly inappropriate for this woman to have been out in public, let alone to have touched a holy man. The nameless woman's approach to Jesus in Mark chapter 5 is in stark contrast to that of Jairus, who's the head of both his family and the synagogue. And in this sense, Mark is portraying two characters at entirely opposite ends of the social spectrum at that time. However, we read that at that moment of contact between Jesus and the unnamed woman, the... um, the dynamics, the power dynamics begin to be changed. Her body is healed, just the opposite of what a Jewish audience would have expected at the time. And when Jesus stops to inquire what has happened, the whole narrative of the story, which was progressing towards Jairus' house, grinds to a halt. And we see that at this point, Jesus seeks to know the human face of the poor, the name behind the statistic. And this is, um, these are the verses at that point. And in that most powerful moment of the story, Jesus gives the mistreated, rejected and despised woman a name. And the name he gives her is daughter. 
daughter. She's the only person that Jesus gives this intimate name to. This woman who's been despised and rejected by her whole community receives the highest title from the king. And in this sense, we see something incredibly powerful that Jesus not only deals with her um, physical needs, but he restores her dignity, um, which through tears work is what we constantly hear from our partners, that people living in poverty aren't um, seeing themselves as lacking material things. They're just... They're, it's how they feel about themselves and their worth in their community and this sense of lacking dignity. And it's such an incredible reward for this woman who had nothing but had courage to imagine a new way forward for herself. At this point, you're probably wondering, oh dear, what's happened to that original um, story and has Jesus kind of defaulted on his need to bring healing to Jairus' daughter. In verse 35, Jairus is informed by some servants that his daughter has passed away and not to bother the teacher anymore. However, Jesus exhorts Jairus to believe and goes to his house anyway. And in the midst of mourning, um, family and friends, Jesus actually insists that the girl is only sleeping and brings her back to life. By looking at this story, we really feel that the story of the two daughters uh, speaks of the importance of healing for everyone in God's vision of tomorrow and that it's only when the unnamed daughter can be restored to true daughterhood that Jairus' daughter can also be brought back to life. And that interconnection also plays out in our lives and the connection that we have um, as Westerners, um, affluent Westerners, with more than enough um, and the connection that we have to women like Smita who are living in much more difficult parts of the world. So we're going to hear a bit more about Smita's story and the way that Sahasi helped to restore her dignity in her family and her community. Joining Sahasi gave me an opportunity that I had always wanted to speak to other women. I was now able to share my life experiences with them and in the process I learned so much. I'm more confident and can talk about anything, anywhere. My husband used to stop me from going out. He didn't like what I was doing. But he's seen me change so much and he knows that what I'm doing is for the women in our neighbourhood and now he supports me. I've seen such a difference in the women of this community. They don't feel alone anymore. Now they come out of their homes and talk. They want to learn about their rights, so that when their rights are being ignored, they know exactly what they should do. One of the many things I've learned from Sahasi is that it's important to spend more time with my daughter and share what I know with her. I want her to have the confidence to talk to me about anything that happens to her. Thanks to Sahasi, my attitude to life has totally changed. I'm much more socially engaged and believe passionately in justice for all women. I think it's taken too long for women to achieve justice and equality in India. My desire is that women receive the same pay as men, the same hours and the same benefits. Justice must come as soon as possible. I feel quite emotional when talking about Sahasi. They have given me so much. I started out with what I saw as nothing, and now I'm president of one of the federations. 
Sahasi has changed my life. I also become quite emotional when I think about Sneeta and some of the women of the Sahasi Project because they've had such dramatic personal transformation, but then they've taken that and spread it like an infectious disease amongst everyone in their slum and in surrounding slums. And they've gone on to do uh, incredibly powerful advocacy on issues that are really significant and taboo issues in their community. Um, issues like child protection and speaking out against um, female infanticide. Um, yeah, and on issues of water and sanitation for their slum and um, knocking down their slum. There was an issue at one point that they successfully advocated on. So they're just amazing agents of change, which previously, you know, didn't even believe that they had a voice, you know, amongst their neighbours, let alone... Um, amongst powerful government officials of the day. And some of the footage that you've seen was shot on International Women's Day last year, where all of the women involved in the Sahasi project dressed in their best saris and um, put on a big uh, rally in their community and invited some really important leaders from Mumbai governments uh, to come and hear about the work they were doing and what they wanted to continue to see happen across Mumbai. So. Just amazing work that they're doing. But what about us here and now? Uh, we can sit here today reflecting on these stories of courage and struggle, but also of vision and hope. And I wonder if, if something is coming and stirring in you in terms of a vision for you of the tomorrow that you want to see in the world and want to be part of in the world. Do we long as Christians, do we long for God's tomorrow, for his kingdom um, to be brought about amongst us, his kingdom of justice, hope, um, peace and health for everyone? Or will we just sit, um, not content, but just feeling frozen, I guess, uh, and unable to do anything to bring about change? Despite the ongoing realities for women and girls in our world today, we know that um, there is hope for a more just and safe and equitable world and that God calls us as his people to have courage to imagine that and to work with him in bringing his kingdom about. So I wonder what uh, sort of tomorrow this is causing you to imagine. When we shared this new theme of tears last year with Joel, uh, he was inspired to write a beautiful poem uh, expressing some of his hopes for tomorrow. And he's going to perform that for you now, uh, also as a way to inspire you uh, to keep thinking about your hopes for tomorrow, and then we'll move into a bit of time of personal reflection. So Joel, please come back up. So I met a man, and he saw the world differently, and I sat cross-legged at his feet, and he told me, remember the past, but cast your eyes forth, for tomorrow our hope shall be a louder voice than our apathy. Our apathy shall finally take a step forward, our steps forward shall lead us somewhere, mean something, hold 
meaning like friends hold each other, crying, I am crying for this world to change. Tears of empathy, sometimes apathy. I cry today for tomorrow. Even these tears shall be wiped from our faces. Lift your cheeks, though they are wet. There is one who shall collect them yet, hold them in his hands and call it the ocean. Beckon you to set sail, turn your face to the horizon for tomorrow. The nooses drawn tight around the necks of the oppressed will be like halos, like the saints around their heads, a guiding light for the rest of us. Let us see the way forward comes not through power and politic, but through small acts of courage and change, change, change us like loose coins are never going to fix this problem so let us go deeper than just charity change us like sweatshops closing change us like politicians stop posing change us like half the women of the world don't have to be abused change us like somebody has to stand up for tomorrow, we shall not just talk of gender equality, but rather women who in total work two-thirds of the world's working hours will one day get paid more than just 10% of the world's income. For tomorrow, we imagine a day when corners do not exist. Those years of muddy lips pressed against white skin, Many times she'd lie under the weight of a man's insecurity, forced into sex slavery, fingers that rub bruises into her flesh as the sweat of large men stain her breasts that are the tools of her trade, street worker taking tricks on her corner. Imagine a day when those corners do not have to exist. For tomorrow, the weapons will be piled high, tanks left dry, drones in the sky no more. We turn their swords into plowshares. I make a garden from your M16. I irrigate the earth with your death machine and hold out to you a meal for us all to sit at the same table. For tomorrow, Israeli and Palestinian shall sit down and have dinner again. The rich shall eat with the poor and the oppressor with the oppressed. And they shall talk of forgiveness, truth and reconciliation. For tomorrow, the betrayed will no longer seek revenge. And revenge will no longer be found in the dictionary and neither shall poverty nor infant mortality nor hungry nor thirsty nor children searching through waste dumps, oil pumps leaking the ocean, 21 million in slavery no more for tomorrow we dance on the streets. For tomorrow, we live in colour. For tomorrow, we look the other in the eye. For tomorrow, we embrace. For tomorrow, we are set free. For today, we crawl on our hands and knees, believing the tomorrow we are seeing. Stretch our eyes forward, move our limbs turn our heads toward the sound of liberation we wait 
And this waiting is an ache. And this ache is a burden, heavy and hopeful. This ache is a father waiting for his child to be born. This ache is a back scratch, never quite reaching that sweet spot. So we keep on scratching, and we keep on moving, and we keep on crawling, and we keep going forward. We seek for tomorrow by acting today until this world is as it was always meant to be. So I don't know what that, that stirs in you, and I don't know what the, uh, the story uh, that we've been hearing today from Martine stirs in you, but hopefully, for me, it stirs both the, the absolute frustration at today's world, and at the same time, the absolute hope that we have that one day there is a tomorrow coming, and our calling, if this is the tomorrow we are seeking to see happen in our world, where we see a world of justice and equality and harmony and unity, if that's tomorrow, then we today work towards that in the things that we do. We, um, we, you guys, a whole bunch of you would have got pens and paper as you came in. I know not everyone got to have those. If you've got pen and paper, pick it up. If you have pen and paper in your, your bag or something, grab it. If you have your phone and, and you can write some stuff in your phone or something like that, pull out your phone and I know you won't be messaging or Facebooking. Um, let's see if everyone can have something to write on. Does everyone have something? Does anyone not have, not have anything that they can write on? Great. So, I'd love you to do two things for me. One, we'll get to the, the poem second because I know everyone's so excited about poetry. Um, the first thing I'd love you to do is simply, I want you to think um, about your vocation. Vocation is the sense of calling. Um, it's, it's career, but it's wider than that. It's lifestyle. I'd like you to think about your vocation, who you are and what you're doing in your life. And I just want you to write down, what is one step? What is one step? If, if God's dream for tomorrow of, of a world of equality and justice and peace. That is God's dream. What is the one step you can do today? Or tomorrow, Monday? Or what is the one step you can do at the moment in your life, in your vocation especially, in your career, what you're doing and your calling? What is one step you can do to move towards that? Just spend a few minutes having a think and write some stuff down for yourself. Make a commitment to where the rubber hits the road to doing this stuff. It's not just for social workers and aid and development workers, this is for everybody. Artists and lawyers and accountants and teachers and stay-at-home mums and whatever you're doing, what does it look like for you? Alright. Now on your bit of paper, what I'd love to do now is, is move just from the practical into the heart space. And I'd love you to maybe write on your bit of paper, can you write God's dream for tomorrow is. Just write those words at the top. Now what I'm going to do with you guys, God's dream for tomorrow is, is a poetic technique, a poetic process of mine that I use. It's called flow of conscious writing. 
Flow of conscious writing is where you put pen to paper and you force yourself to write. You're not allowed to stop writing. Your pen has to be moving the whole time. So in some ways, you're not even thinking about what you're writing. You don't have a chance to edit. You've sort of got to unlearn everything that you know from high school teaching of English often. Because <laughs> we get stuck in our, it needs to sound good, needs to be like this, needs to rhyme, needs to be this sort of meter. And sorry to English teachers. I'm sure you're doing a much better job than my English teachers did. Um, <laughs> um, Flow of conscious writing is the idea of just letting it flow out, whatever comes. So what I'd love us to do is start with a metaphor. With a metaphor. What did you guys just write then? God's dream for tomorrow is? Is that what you wrote? God's dream for tomorrow is. I want you to grab a metaphor. If God's dream for tomorrow was a landscape, what sort of landscape would it be? Or if God's dream for tomorrow was a tree, what sort of tree would it be? Or if God's dream for tomorrow were... An an animal, what sort of anything, you could choose anything, but those are easy, landscape and trees are the easy ones to begin with. Um, so does everyone sort of get what we're doing? So I'd love you to start there. God's dream for tomorrow is, and I just want you to do whatever the first thing is that comes into your head, because that's often where our, our heart and our gut speaks from. Um, I want you just to start writing. I'm going to time you. This is going to be an English lesson for two minutes right now. You're going to have two minutes, and the idea is your, your, your hand is not allowed to stop writing or typing on your phone. So you're just going to keep on writing. Whatever comes out, comes out. Does that make sense? Are we ready to go? God's dream for tomorrow is, is what? Ready and go. Start writing. And I'll yell at you if you're stopping and thinking. So there you have the beginnings of a a poem for you about God's tomorrow. Um, you can take that and do what you will with it. But what we'd love you to do now, just for two minutes, I'd love you to turn to the person next to you and to share maybe your, your one step that you feel like um, and or your poem as well. Don't go in groups of three or four because we don't have time. So just go with one-on-one with someone next to you. Go for it. Have a chat. Share your hope for tomorrow. Oh, well, that's great. I'd love to hear some of your... Um your thoughts and the images that came to mind for you. Maybe over a morning tea, um, you can keep sharing. Um, you might be thinking, how is this connected to Tia and Tia's work? Uh, basically, this is, this is the motivation for why we do what we do. Uh, our belief that Jesus came into the world to bring about uh, this hope uh, and life a message of a new kingdom and that he modelled for us uh, an amazingly challenging life of service and caring for those most in need. So we'd love you to join with us in the movement that we're trying to build of people seeking to bring about this new tomorrow in Australia and in the world. And one really tangible way that you might want to think about responding is by becoming an ambassador for tomorrow. Um, You should have all received one of these cards in your booklet. And this is one way that you can say, yeah, I really want to join with other Christians around Australia and be equipped by TIER and inspired by TIER to be taking steps in my life and in my community to bring about this new kingdom. And we'll resource you across five, five areas, learn, live, give, pray, and act. Um, A lot of advocacy ideas around that one. So we'd love you to think about that. And and as kind of a key church in, new church in Melbourne, we'd love to have a few people from this community sign up as ambassadors and commit to keeping this community informed about 
the movement uh, for tomorrow. Uh, I've had some chats with Pete uh, about where you're at as a community and thinking about mission partnerships. And as you start to work that out and pray about that uh, and consider what, how, what that means for you as, as a church community, we'd love you to consider um, and to chat with us about what it might look like for Tia to support you in that journey. Uh, yeah, there's lots of ways that that could take place. Um, We'd love you to remember that Tia's been working in this space for over 40 years and that we work in partnership with local Christian organisations around the world uh, who've got a lot of experience in doing what they do um, and that there's opportunities that you have as a church to partner with one particular project in a country that you're really passionate about and you can hear stories and prayer points directly from that project if that's something that uh, sounds like that would be of interest to you guys. Uh, I'd also love you to consider how you can keep learning about uh, these issues and allowing God to break your heart for what breaks his. So there's lots of ways you can do that. We've got a bunch of resources up the back which you're very welcome to grab and take with you or you could sign up to go on our mailing list for some of that stuff. We also run exposure trips, which Pete um, and Joe mentioned on the front cover of one that they did to Bangladesh many years ago. They were looking pretty fresh-faced in some of those photos, weren't they? (laughs) Um, And we do some trips within Australia to Indigenous communities that families are very welcome to come on as well. So that might be something that you want to look into. Uh, Again, for families, we have a resource called Families of Hope, which helps you to think about how you can talk with your kids about issues of poverty and injustice and some more creative things you can try as a family. And some tier volunteers have uh, just come up with a really great week-long resource that uh, focuses on the issue of women in poverty in the lead-up to International Women's Day. And you can register to access that resource and use it personally or in your home, or in your small group, or even as a church, which has seven days of ideas to uh, learn, pray, Uh, do and cook. So you can find out more about that on our uh, For Tomorrow website here. And the other thing is if you feel like you want to give financially to Tears Work, we've got some donation envelopes up the back near your regular collection um, post box, which uh, you'd be very welcome to um, contribute to Tears. We'd love you to contribute to Tears Work uh, in that way. So, I hope that you're feeling really inspired and courageous and imaginative. And uh, Joel and I will be around for a little while later if you want to chat with us. And obviously, um, Pete and Joe know a lot about Tears Work. And Patty Morgan um, has been a Tears supporter for a really long time and is part of your community. So, you can chat with her about um, other ways to engage with this stuff. Can I close us in prayer, or are you about to move into prayer anyway? Ah, oh, great. <laughs>